Amen. Well, I won't keep you too much longer this morning, but uh, I do want to just encourage you a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the presence of a father, because we're in this series about embracing the presence of God, embracing the empowering presence of God and how empowering that presence is. You know, and I just thought about uh, a lot of things today. I was thinking that, you know, maybe since it's Father's Day, I would just maybe get up and tell a few dad jokes but then I thought, nah, I, I, I won't do that, you know, because it's that's kind of corny, you know, Jody, and nobody likes that kind of stuff. So I thought, no, I won't do that. I mean, I had some good ones. I had one about an elevator, uh, but I won't. I mean, it works on so many levels, but I, but I won't. I won't tell that one. <laughs> it's dad joke. Come on. It's <laughs> no, but we're. We are in the series about the, the empowering presence of God, the empowering presence of God and the presence of God. This word presence, it's really the way that God presents himself, because remember when he told Moses in Exodus chapter 33, I believe around verse 14, he said, my presence will go with you. So it's the same thing as him saying, I'll go with you. But he didn't say, I will go with you. He said, my presence will go with you. And so when you think about this word presence, it's really how God describes himself. And his presence is empowering. I mean, think about it. When you are in the presence of God, one of the reasons that I've been harping on the presence over the last few weeks, the last number of weeks so much, is because you know, the presence is his Holy Spirit, and it is his presence that gave the word. His presence spoke. When he said, my presence will go with you, he said, I'm going with you. So it was his presence that said, let there be light. It was his presence that said, see, go no further. You stop right there. It was his presence that said, time stops now. And, uh, you know, Joshua, you can continue to fight. It was his presence that spoke those things. And so for us, if we want to be empowered to overcome, if we want to be empowered to prosper, if we want to be empowered to be healed, if we want to be empowered to be delivered from anything, it's about getting into the presence of God. His presence. Psalm 16, verse 7 through 11 in the New King James Version of the Bible, uh, David put it this way. Uh, he said, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the right seasons. I have set the Lord. I have set what? I have set his presence. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life in your presence is the fullness of joy, and at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. The God's Word version, yes, puts it this way. You make the path of life, verse 11, known to me, complete joy. There's nothing left out of that. Complete joy is in your presence forever. The presence of God, the presence of God is where we can find complete joy. 
And you know, out of all of the things that God does for us, you know, God blesses us, God delivers us, God heals us, He opens doors that we could never open on our own. Out of all of those things that He does for us, the one thing that we should be most thankful for and that we should seek the most is not His hand, but His presence. His presence. There's something about the presence of God. I remember being little, young, probably 10 or 11 or 12, and I loved and still do. I loved football. I loved American football. I have to say American football because a lot of times I speak to the Filipinos on, on, you know, online, Brother Larry, and you know, I want to make sure it's American football. I like soccer too, but, uh, but I love, I've always loved American football. And so when I was little, I wanted to play football. And I was kind of little or a little smaller. I guess that's the proper word. My wife looked at me. Smaller. We're at near IU, so you got to speak properly. Uh, smaller than, uh, you know, a lot of the other boys my age. And, um, but I went out and played football and I loved it. Now, my biological dad died when I was eight months old. The story was told to me that he died in Vietnam. Uh, he was in Vietnam. That, is, that part is true, but it, I found out later that it wasn't true, that he died there. He went to Vietnam, and he came back home, got into an altercation one night, and was stabbed and killed. Okay, so I guess my mom felt like, you know, she didn't want to tell me that, you know, until I was older. I don't know. But at any rate, I never knew him. I, it was hard to mourn over a dad I never knew. I never saw him. We never had relationship. Okay, so for the first nine years of my life, uh, you know, I was fatherless. And then my mom got married. She got married uh, to my stepdad, who I never called my stepdad. And I know my story is not different than many other people's stories, but uh, she got married and we, me and my younger brothers were so thankful. Um, they're a little younger than me, so I was most cognizant of what was happening. But we lived in a neighborhood in Columbus, Ohio, that wasn't the best neighborhood. Now, I know Columbus, Ohio is not New York City. You know, I know it's not like, you know, living in the uh, ghetto in Los Angeles. I realize that. But it's all relative. It was a ghetto nonetheless. And uh, we had, you know, I got all of my clothes from a place called Charity Newsies. It was kind of like, you know, they just, it was hand-me-downs and you go down there and, you know, they give you whatever they have left over. So I got a lot of clothes that way and, uh, you know, that's the way I was used to living, living in these apartments. And when I would walk to school, many days I had to run home from school because of, you know, possibility of getting into a fight or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, in our, in our apartment, you know, there was a lot of bugs. You know, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, that's the way I grew up. Then when my, I'm saying this for a purpose, when my mom got married, my dad was a successful salesman. So they got married and we bought a house. Now we just bought a house in a neighborhood. But to me, it was like, we are rich. We struck it rich. I mean, this is the big time, Jack. You know what I mean? We got a house and there's all, me and my three brothers didn't have to sleep in the same room. I mean, whoa, I mean, this is what's better than this. So I was so thankful, you know, that my dad came along and he was a, a very nice man uh, and uh, very encouraging. But as time went on, I'm getting back to the football story. As time went on, he wasn't around very much. 
And part of the reason uh, that he wasn't around was because he worked a lot. He was a salesman. So if you know anything about sales, you'll know that in a lot of jobs that are sales, you get a meager salary, and then it depends on how much you sell. So he had to work all the time. He was working all the time. He was always working, always trying to make sales. So he just wasn't around a whole lot. He was very successful at that. In fact, one year, he got top salesman of the year and won a trip to Hawaii. He took my mom to Hawaii. So that's how uh, successful he was, and that's how much he was into it, you know, trying to provide for his family. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, he just wasn't around a whole lot. In fact, um, me and my brother, this is probably not the best thing to say, but me and my brothers had a nickname for him. We called him 430 Wednesday, and that's an odd name, but we came up with this name because we thought that's about when we see him on 430 on Wednesday, so that's what we called him, 430 Wednesday, and you know, and, um, uh, but we, we never saw him. So I, I started playing football, and when I played football, one of the things I noticed is that uh, Little League football, the parents are there, you know, they bring snacks and all. Actually, at that time, they didn't bring snacks like they do now. There was no snack day and all of that, but some of the parents would do that. And, but there were, you know, the other boys, their dad was there cheering them on every game, and my dad wasn't you know, because he couldn't be there. My mom had to drop me off because she also had to work. So he was never there. He was never there. And I just kind of got used to it. But as I watched the other boys uh, and, and their dads interact with them, I thought it would be nice, you know, to look over and my dad had come to one of my games. All right. So as we played, I became pretty good. And I think only because I liked it so much. I liked football much more than the other boys. I'd yell at them and, you know, come on, we got to do this like it was the end of the world if we didn't win or stop the other team. But that was just me. I was into it. So I was a running back. So that means I got the ball and I got to run the ball. And every game, man, I was, I was doing it. You know, I was littler than the other guys. So part of it was I was so scared they couldn't catch me, you know. And so I scored a lot of touchdowns. This one game we had on a Wednesday night in the middle of the season. We usually had games on Saturdays. But this one game, I played for this uh, team called the Eastland Vikings, okay? And we played against the Bengals, whoever they were. And, but they decided to put it on Wednesday night. And so this Wednesday night, we're starting to play this game, and I am in the backfield as a running back. I'm getting, the game is going on. We get the ball, and I'm getting ready to run my play, and they call a banana right 45Z. Now, I don't know what all of that means, Carla, really. All I knew is when he said 45, that meant the ball's coming to me. That's all I paid attention to. All the other banana stuff, I didn't know. But when you say 45, oh, I'm getting the ball. That's all I knew. So, I, I said, man, you know, uh, I'm going to get the ball again, and I've, I've been doing pretty well, but I mean, this is not that much fun anymore. You know, it's just football. It wasn't as exciting as it was when the season started. So I'm in the backfield, and the quarterback starts into his cadence, and I thought I heard the coach say something, so I kind of looked over to the side to see if he was telling us to do something different, and I saw my dad standing on the sideline, not in the, in the, in the stands. He's standing on the sideline next to the coach. And I said, whoa, is that my dad? And I had to do a double take. And by that time, he said, hut. And the play was going. And I said, what? And then so he gave me, he's here, gave me the ball. And I knew my dad was there. And so that play, I mean, I ran an 80-yard touchdown. And I don't care who was against me. You weren't going to stop me. I was scoring a touchdown that play because my dad was there, right? Right? 
And so after, the, after I scored, I did score a touchdown. We lost the game, but I did score a touchdown and ran over and, you know, hugged dad. And, uh, you know, he told me, he said, you know what, Michael? He said, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I've been working so much that I haven't been able to come to all of your games and I haven't been to support you, you know, like I should have. But you know what came to my mind in that moment, Sister Sharon? I didn't even care. I didn't care about any of the other games. I didn't care about him not being around. I didn't care about anything that he had done. Even when he got onto me, gave me a whooping. I didn't, I wouldn't even think about any of those things. All I cared about was that moment right now because he was there. I didn't care that we were losing the game. I didn't care about anything else. It was just because of his presence. Just your presence, dad. Just that you are here means the whole world to me. You know, I didn't care about anything else. And what we have to realize is that it's that way with the presence of God. Oh, can God bless you? Yes. But why are we worried about that? We worry so much about it. We worry ourselves to death. That's a, a saying my dad used to say, you're going to worry yourself to death. <laughs> we do that. We worry about so many things and God makes it so simple to us. Seek you first my kingdom, and all of these things will be added unto you. See, our focus sometimes is on the wrong thing. We focus on how we lack. We focus on our failures. We focus on all of those things that go wrong. And God's saying, you're human, but focus on me. Because in my presence, there is a fullness the God's Word version says, complete joy, complete joy is in my presence, God is saying. Pleasures are at my side forever. They never end. They never, ever end. And so it's about the presence of God. And what we have to realize is that God's desire is not just to be the Almighty God. He already knows who He is. See, we have to understand that God is God whether you believe in him or not. He doesn't need you to believe in him to be God. You just need to believe in him for your own salvation. But whether you believe in him or not, he's still God. Yeah, you, you, can, you, can, you can say, oh, well, that's not a tree out there. And you and I can argue all day long about it being a tree. It doesn't matter what you say. The tree is still there. You can say all that you want to say. God is still God no matter what. So he knows who he is. He knows he's the almighty God. He knows that he spoke the world into existence. He knows that he created something from nothing. He knows that if there was a big bang that he said bang. He knows that. But see, it's not God's desire just to be an almighty God and ruler of the universe. His heart toward us is the heart of a father. He wants to be your father. He wants to be your father. Why? Because he is a father. You see, 2 Corinthians 6.18 says this. He says, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. He knows he's the Lord Almighty. Psalm 103.13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And that word fear means reverence. Those who press into his presence. Those that want his presence. See, if you get, here's, here's a trick, and I know it sounds like a paradox, you know, but if, if you press into the presence and you get the presence of God, you'll have it all. Because he gives you the name of Jesus, 
the greatest weapon we could ever have, the name that's above every name. If you just come into my presence, you'll have it. All you have to do is speak it. All you have to do is believe. That's all you have to do. First John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. So we are. The reason why the world does not know us is because it did not know him. And so it's about pressing into that presence. Well, then on our side, how, how do we do that? What, what is required of us? Really, belief and faith, that's all God. He doesn't require us to jump through any hoops. You know, he doesn't require us to pass a bunch of tests, all right, in order to get into the inner circle. You know, like you're in one of the Indiana Jones movies and you, you got to pass this test and pass that test. God doesn't require all that. He says, come to me. Believe my word. Speak my word. Believe it in your heart and speak it with your mouth that you are an overcomer. So from us, what's it going to take? It's going to take honesty and humility. Honesty and humility. That's all we could ever give to God. Honesty and humility is the key to embracing the taking in and the taking up and the taking on of God's presence. Honesty and humility. Because in his presence, what do we find? We find a place of joy and rejoicing. That's what we find. Are you down? Are you downtrodden? Have things happened in your life that have caused you to look down? In his presence, there is a place of joy, a place of rejoicing. In his presence, there's a place where impossible situations melt away. Impossible. What's impossible? What's impossible? I believe the only reason why God ever put that word in the Bible is just so we would understand what it is. Because there's no impossible to him. There's no impossible. What does that even mean? You have to see it from God's perspective. I don't even know what you're talking about, impossible. What's impossible? What's, what's going to stop me? What's going to stop God from doing what he wants to do? Well, if he be in you, come on, if his word abides in you, come on, and we follow his direction, we are obedient to his word, then with man it is impossible, but with God, come on, all things are possible. In his presence is a place of transformation. That means not a place where we're conformed like the world would do. Where you go to IU or you go to this place or you travel to another city or a different country and you see how their culture is and it maybe conforms you or society with economics and politics or whatever it may be. Uh, all of those things, they, they try to conform us to a certain way. But when you come into the presence of God, God's presence transforms you from the inside out. It transforms you like a metamorphosis. He reaches way down deep in your spirit and he gets to the heart of the matter and he changes you from the inside out in order to see things the way he sees them. That's why it's important. It's important to be transformed so that we can see through God's eyes. Now we can say, what? What? I thought this was impossible. What impossibilities are there? I love the scripture. I believe uh, in Isaiah, or maybe even Jesus said it, but he said, you know, you'll look, uh, you'll look at Satan one day when you finally see him for who he is and say, is this the one, this dude, is he the one that brought down nations? Because we'll be seeing things through the eyes of God at that moment. That's why we need to press into his presence. And then finally, it's a place of refreshing. 
It's a place where God refreshes us. See, today, this idea of fatherhood, it's hard to define. It really is. The world we live in uh, has turned into being uh, a, a place that very often bashes fathers. And I think for good reason sometimes. Fathers are not around. You know, fathers make mistakes. We have fathers who abuse their children. We have divorce that hurts the family and the children. We have fathers who stop supporting their children or even stop seeing their children. We have kids who don't even know their father. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of wrongs that we can bring up about fathers. But you know what? We have a perfect example of a good father, and that is Father God. He is the perfect example of a good father, of chastisement. Come on, because sometimes we need that. Of love, of encouragement, of empowering, of teaching, of causing us to overcome. He's the perfect example of a good father. I would also say this, that if, you, if you're a person who looks at your father and you see all the mistakes they've made, I would say, understand this about your father. Your earthly father is not a perfect father. We know that. Your earthly father has made some mistakes. Your earthly father will probably never be perfect until he's with the Lord. But if it is, all in, if it is at all in you to do, give your father a break. Give your dad a break. Come on. And then if you're not able to do that, then pray for your dad. You can at least pray for him. If you're not able to see any good thing in your earthly father, then look at your heavenly father and pray for your earthly father that he would line up to be like your heavenly father. Because God is able to change us from the inside out. He's able to transform us. Amen. Now, I, was, I know for me, I was just blessed enough to have... Uh, a, a stepfather, I never called him stepdad, but a dad who loved me and, and blessed me when he was around. And sure, I could have dwelt on the fact that he wasn't around as much. And that's all I could have taken through the rest of my life. Because up until the day he died, uh, you know, I felt that way, that he, he wasn't around. But let me tell you this, and I'll, I'll, and I'll let you go. Let me tell you this. There was a moment about two weeks before my dad died, that we were over my brother's house. And my brother had just gotten saved. I was at church with him. He answered an altar call, got saved. We were over his house talking to his wife, whose family were Jehovah's Witnesses. And so that's how she grew up. So now that her husband, my brother, had gotten saved and committed to being a Christian, she was interested in this. And uh, so we were there, my wife was with me, and we were having a, a little Bible study at his table, and we were just talking about it, and she was asking a lot of questions, and if I can say this, I, we kind of had her on the hook, all right? And uh, just then there was a, door, a ring at the doorbell, a ring of the doorbell, and it was my dad. My dad came over just by himself. He just came over to visit my brother out of nowhere. That's another thing he never did. He never did. Never. He just came in. Dad, what's going on? So he came in and conversation keeps going. My dad's kind of standing in the corner of the dining room 
But I, I said, we just want, I just want to finish this conversation because we had my sister-in-law on the hook. So I just want to finish this conversation, Dad, and then we'll, we'll talk about whatever it is, you know. So we're, we're finishing our conversation. And as I'm talking to my brother and his wife, my dad interjects. He asks some questions. Well, what does that mean? Well, what did you mean by that? Now I'm thinking, okay, Dad, hang on just a second. I'll talk to you in a moment, but I'm talking to my sister, all right? And, uh, you know, I kind of answer him, but I'm not paying much attention to him, okay? And so we go through that, and uh, finally she, you know, she says the prayer and uh, gives her life. And after that, Dad didn't ask any more questions. And I forgot, we just went on about our business. So about two weeks later, one morning, about 5.30 in the morning, my sister-in-law calls me. Have you talked to your mom? No, I haven't talked to mom. Well, you need to call up to the hospital. What hospital? So she gives me the number. I call up to the hospital, get my mom on the phone. She says, he's gone. What do you mean he's gone? Where did he go? He's gone. He's gone. My father died in the night, just suddenly. So you know what I have fought for so many years? I never thought about all the times he wasn't there, all of the wrong things he did. I have fought for so many years the feeling of regret from that moment that he was asking questions of me, my dad asking questions, not me of him, but him asking questions of me and about the Lord and about the Bible. And I never answered him. And so to this day, I don't know if he gave his life to the Lord. I don't know. In all these years, until, up until this very moment, I fight regret. I fight regret. My encouragement to you is to love your dad while he's here. He's not perfect. He's not going to do everything right. Love him while he's here. And if you're a dad, love your children while you're here. Love them while you're here. Be a good example. Show them what a good, good father is really like. Show them what he's like.